Welcome to the Speak With People podcast. My name is Jason Reitz. I'm so excited that you are joining us today. At Speak With People, we believe that healthy communication is oxygen for our relationships and our leadership. So whether you communicate one-on-one to a team from a stage or from a screen like I am now, uh, our hope is that our time together today on this podcast will help you breathe life into your world with healthy communication. We hope that it will inspire you and challenge you to get rid of some of the toxic habits and add the healthy habits to your everyday leadership. Well, before we hop into this great episode, I wanna remind you about the Leadership Collective. This is our companion guide to the Lead With People podcast series. It includes 38 different leadership principles from leaders from around the country who all shared their number one leadership insight and principle that's really helped to guide them to lead with authenticity, joy, uh, and in a way that leads with trust. So make sure you get that at speakwithpeople.com slash leadwithpeople. Well, I'm so excited about today's episode. Uh, Literally have been beaming all morning long because I get to uh, interview just an incredible author and leader. Uh, We're gonna answer some questions today. How do we improve our relationship skills? How do we transform our relationships into healthy life-breathing ones? Uh, How do we deal with uh, when trust has been broken? And so uh, today we're talking about how to improve that one-on-one relationship by using some uh, skills and by learning a communication code. And so today we're going to dive in to the intricacies of healthy and effective uh, leadership with Steve Cockerham. He's the co-founder of Giant Worldwide. Uh, We're thrilled. I'm just so thrilled to talk about his latest book, The Communication Code. Uh, Spent all weekend going through it and can't wait to talk about it. Well, Steve, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being a part and welcome to the Speak of People podcast. Oh, Jason, thank you. Pleasure to be with you and your audience. Um, Being me, I love talking full stop and talking about something I'm passionate about is even easier. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I gave just a tiny morsel of your your bio, but I wondered if you could share a little bit of your story with us, just who you are, what you do, all of that kind of stuff. Gosh, um, I, I've been married for 31 years to the same yes. woman. I think that's probably the most important achievement in my life. Uh, Congratulations. Girls, um, 23, 19, and 12. Uh, the 12 was an unexpected blessing in our old age and is an American citizen. We lived out in your wonderful country Uh, for five years. I've done so many things, Jason. I've been a teacher, a pastor, a nightclub owner, a serial entrepreneur, and a coach and confidant, interestingly, to um, some amazing people around the world who who lead in all kinds of places. Giant, that you said I co-founded with Jeremy 10 years ago, really sought to try and answer the question, 10 years ago, what were the five biggest challenges leaders were facing as we moved into the digital world. Um, Hmm. The research for that was fascinating. And we spent the last 10 years trying to build a toolkit that leaders need for the world that is rather than the world that was. And the biggest thing of that was that every tool we created had to be visual, interactive with a media application because everyone is so busy. Um, We designed every visual tool for educated 13 year olds. And uh, because then if they could understand it, use it to teach their friends, every person in the world could use them. So 10 years on, um, the codification really of our research, uh, personal failure in many cases, has led us to a place where, you know, amazingly, uh, I think we're working in 
over 130 countries now. We have about 1,000 wow. independent coaches, consultants around the world who use the resources and the technology. And we work with companies as big as, you know, Google, Microsoft, you know, um, Apple, the U.S. military. You know, it, it's British government. It's amazing wow. how many people um, have found these simple, practical tools incredibly helpful in what we call uh, relational intelligence. How do hmm. you be more relationally intelligent um, with yourself, uh, with those you share life with at home and family and friends, um, and those that you work with and collaborate with on a daily basis? Because where you are more relationally intelligent, the chances of relationships being um, healthy, meaningful and productive dramatically increases so wow. it sounds rather grand um i guess it is and our book last week the communication code was actually the number one uh, new release on the whole of amazon last week worldwide so wow. there we go that's that's a brit trying to be a bit of an american and kind of <laughs> own, own our triumph but as you can see i struggle with it so forgive me jason no congratulations uh, I got to say, uh, just as I hear your story and then you talk about your books, two refreshing things. Uh, I think this episode will be, what will this be? Our podcast is yell rel relatively young. Uh, this is episode 69. Uh, and this is not, there's no shade or no offense to any other guest I've interviewed. We've interviewed amazing leaders, honored to have them all. I think you're the first one to talk about your marriage and your kids. When I say, hey, share, share some of your story with us. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, uh, I joke and say I've been happily married for 31 years, Helen on and off for about the last 10, I think. And uh, <laughs> some of the stories I often share um, usually are how it's possible to get it so wrong when you were trying to get it so right. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, uh, the relationship with Helen, my wife, and with Jeremy, my business partner, has really been the crucible around which most of these tools have been developed um, because – so many people Jason, that the, the relationships we care most about have the greatest capacity to cause us the greatest joy, but they wow. also have the capacity to cause us the deepest pain. And the hardest thing in the world is when you have tried everything you know to make communication work in a relationship you care deeply about and you cannot find a way to connect and communicate. Mm. Sadly, that is the experience of so many people and so many broken relationships that really, if you track it, are never in a moment. They're always basically an increasing breakdown of the ability to communicate effectively um, over an extended period of time. So, you know, when I was a pastor, I would say nobody sat on my couch for marriage prep, hoping that it would end in an acrimonious divorce where they argued over the custody of the children. And in the last decade or so, none of the people we've helped start businesses have ever gone, I hope we end up in a law court arguing over intellectual property and who owns the, mm -hmm. the client accounts. It, but it happens. And mm. so therefore, the question is, if it happens, why does it happen? And I mm. think that's the that's kind of where we think the communication code goes to the heart of why it happens, even when the intent right. is for good. Intent is not enough when it comes to communication when you're dealing with people who are very different from each other. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I, whew, that's so profound. The other thing that I was going to say is so refreshing is it's just amazing to me in this day and age, in this world where everyone's trying to build their own platform, trying to, you know, kind of get ahead. 
Uh, I mean, I'm looking at your your book, Five Voices, your book, Communication Code. I mean, you guys co-write together. I mean, that's it's kind of a I think as as a reader, maybe I'm wrong, kind of an unheard practice. Uh, and so that's a, another refreshing thing about you know from a relational standpoint. Well, I think yeah, I mean, I think the reality is when collaboration happens at the most meaningful level, you always end up with something which is greater than the sum of individual parts. So, oh. Jeremy and I. We're very similar, but we're also quite different. And usually when we uh, have had spats over the years, it usually has led to something great in the new giant ecosystem. So I can tell you where we were, where every one of those books was um, birthed and created. And I think, Jason, that's part of the reason why it works, because this isn't coming out of academia. It's coming out of the crucible of trying to make relationships work on the ground. And working with clients and working with teams and and desperate really to try and create a way in which um, human beings can really really enjoy real relationship with one another yes. and there's nothing more rewarding than doing that but it's also highly elusive as has been proved by the whole world is asking us to help it right now wow absolutely absolutely before we hop into a little bit more about your book and communication i'm just fascinated to ask you you know and our series right now, uh, lead with people, not at them. Uh, wondered when you read that or saw that for the first time, what kind of went through your mind as you were starting to put together, you know, the differences that you thought about when it comes to leading with people and leading at them. Any nuggets or insight that kind of, kind of formulated for you as you thought about that process? Well, I think probably the first emotion was, gosh, there was times when I led at people because yes. I was convinced. I had the best strategy and the best idea and all we really needed was for people to fall into line and execute on my genius um that's kind of uh, you know i'm i'm almost ashamed to share it right now at least i feel i hope i've codified the learning so others can make different mistakes right. i think the thing is leading with is you have to believe jason that the some of the parts and the superpowers of your team are greater than the sum of your individual brilliance. Right. And actually, the moment you begin to not only have an intent, intent is never enough, sadly, but you have to have tools and skills. The moment you become someone who's able to harness the superpowers and the different voices and insights of those who um, you're working with and collaborating with, everybody wants to work in a team like that. So right. I've learned that my very very strong opinionated pioneer voice when everybody knows that i'm going to go last and listen truly listen to every contribution before we make a decision then all of a sudden i've heard things and perspectives and insights that i would never have heard when i was younger so right. you know it, it but but here's the thing is it was never my intent to lead at but when i look sure. back it was my default behavior Leading yep. with is always an intentional decision. But if you don't have tools and insights and lenses to help you do that, it's almost impossible. So that's why I always say that right. that leaders, you know, you're going to laugh when I'm putting a book as part of what we're doing today. I would say leaders don't need more a bigger library. They need a better toolkit for the world yes. that we live in. Yes. Um, whether we like it or not, Jason, you will be one of the few people who actually read the whole of the communication code 
Um, it, they're basically ways of capturing ideas and thoughts, and primarily for us, they're a marketing, positioning, brand, and giving us a chance to speak about what we do. Um, yep. You know, so from that point of view, the, the written word is is very different in its impact to the industrial world, where that's really the major mode of communication. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of, of the latest book, uh, it was funny. I was listening to a podcast this morning. I can't remember who it was with, but they were talking about the percentage of people who actually read a book from cover to cover. Uh, so it's interesting, yeah. you know, you know, I would bring that up again. Um, but you talked a little bit ago about how each book kind of on the journey of your relationship kind of helped define or what was going through. So I'm curious mm -hmm. then, you know, when you guys started writing the communication code, you know, what, what kind of brought this about? What kind of drove you to, you know, explore this and get this into people's hands. So I think um, a lot of people tend to go, oh my goodness, I've got a five book deal. I've written two. What am I going to write on next? And they go away right. and look for ideas. Whereas in a sense, we've been using the communication code in our consulting practice for probably five plus years. Hmm. So in a sense, we tend to try and codify and write when we know it's finished. Um, so in a sense, there's less of a risk of going, Will this connect with an audience? So I think if you ask me where it came from, um, it honestly came uh, from Jeremy and I having uh, lunch one day in a, in Gerald's Cross where I live. And he came basically wanting to tell me about this incredible new deal he'd signed with a company from his past that he was really excited about. And I listened for a moment and went, you've agreed what? Uh, I didn't agree to that. Why, why didn't we talk about this? And, you know, Really? And and then he kind of looked at me and goes, Steve, that wasn't what I hoped would happen. Mm. And I'm going, well, uh, what do you mean? And he said, well, I was really, this was really significant for me. I mean, I, I've been working at this as part of my past. feels like a real clearing of the decks. I was hoping we we're going to have a bottle of champagne, a big lunch, and celebrate together something that for me is incredibly important. Whereas you celebrated for three nanoseconds and then launched into a harsh critique as to why I'd agree mm. to a terrible deal that you honestly believe wasn't good enough. And I'm like, I said to him, I said, well, why didn't you say that? And he said, well, um, that's a good point. So we had at that moment wow. where, where wow. we said, look, I was hoping you'd celebrate with me and you started to critique. And I go, well, my it wasn't an attempt to critique. It was an attempt to collaborate. So if you think we had three C's by lunchtime, and by the end of the day, we'd added care and clarify as the five yes. communication codes. And then, of course, um, I'd been to Bletchley Park in uh, um, only the week before on a school trip with the kids, which is where Alan Turing and the Enigma code breakers worked uh. in the Second World War. And it was a very short step to go. You realize the same thing has just happened as what the allies did when they cracked the enigma code jeremy because if you just send me a transmission of information i'm probably going to respond with my default communication tendencies if you sent me the code ahead of the transmission that told me how you'd like me to interpret your transmission then i'm more likely to be able to respond in a way that shows i've heard and understood your desire and intent wow. so if you think about it very simply now um, Jeremy may say to me, um, Steve, I'm inviting you to collaborate here before. So I'm going, oh, great. That means take the time to listen to what I'm going to say, but I want you to help me make it better. 
bring mm-hmm. your best or if it says uh please will you critique this that's basically saying it's going live tomorrow steve if there's anything wrong in this we probably i i'm not going to be offended it's really important if there's something wrong in what's written or whatever it is you know editing books is like that so you, you see the difference of where in a sense if you send a code in advance of the transmission of information you end up with the ability for the person to respond in a way which means they've really heard not just your words but the intent and the desire for your response from them wow wow and imagine the hurt and the hard feelings and the loss of productivity and morale that could be solved all the time i mean when we do the when i do the keynote on stage i always say to people i want you to think of two relationships in your life where the communication has reached limited slash resigned where you've tried everything you know but it isn't really working and you've almost given up and what i'll guarantee is that you simply have different default communication codes which means when you're both accidental you miss each other or you fight you know um the worst story i tell it often because people like it jason because it makes me look very foolish called the worst date night ever have you heard this one no no so i'll I'll do it as quick as i can but people will laugh and probably some of you will go oh my goodness i've done that as well but if steve's done it it's okay (laughs) so it's date night helen's going steve i'm just really struggling i'm just not sure whether we're going to be able to go out tonight I'm going, well, okay, well, what's the matter? And she goes, I've got this on. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about that. You know, this is, I'm struggling with this. And I'm thinking, well, this is great news because I've already got some ideas how we could solve pretty much all of those. So I went into my office, brought out the big whiteboard with the pens, rolled it into the drawing room, put up Helen's three issues, put it around our processing tool and was already beginning to say, um, here's some of the ways we could deal with this. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. this is going to be the best date night ever. <laughs> Helen's going to be so appreciative of my problem-solving strategic skills. Um, and you never know, it might end up even better than the average date night. So anyway, at this point, I notice Helen's in tears. And she just says, you have no idea. You do not understand me at all. Mm. And I went, you're right. I have absolutely no idea. I don't understand you at all. You've, you've told me these are what the issues you're dealing with are i'm helping you solve these issues but somehow we've missed each other and we didn't have a date night that night and probably mm. our communication expectation was limited slash resigned because i'm going well i did i think i said to you, you don't realize how much people pay me every day this is what i do for a living right. and i'd most often do it for the person i love most but actually when i try it just goes wrong now what mm. was really good by the way is there's a communication code called care jason which is care means this i want you to be present with me nice. don't try and solve me what everything i say is probably bears no resemblance to what i'm actually thinking or feeling i just need to know you will be with me yeah. not judge me and be emotionally and physically present with me now helen didn't send that communication code because we hadn't invented it <laughs> I launched into what collaboration and critique and for Helen that felt like how insensitive you don't understand but I was responding to the transmission of her information and just yep. responding in the way that I thought would be most helpful so yep. you know we, we'd had the communication code many years ago but actually what it means is that 
we have an ability to be able to communicate and many others have been helped in that process as well because in the end communication as you said at the beginning is the lifeblood of every healthy relationship mm -hmm. goodness i love that i love that i love the very beginning you know you guys talk about effective communication is the lifeblood i love that and then you go into healthy communication would you yeah. say because this is something that's always i'm always wrapping my mind around because my premise is you can be an effective communicator and still be unhealthy. You you know, yeah. you can get your message across, you can deliver it with force, people will follow along, you know, they've heard the message, they're doing what you said. But, you know, is there is for you is there a difference between effective and healthy communication? One in the same or is it in a different lane? I would love your thoughts on that. Well, I, th I think we say that someone is a gifted communicator, Jason, which sometimes means they stand on stage and they sound very charismatic and plausible and people connect with what they're saying. So I always say that the further away you come or the brighter the lights, the less you're aware of how effective your communication is, because most of us can stand on the stage and use something that we've pre-prepared. We don't actually have to engage with anybody and we hope the right. feedback's good. Right. However, when you're in your team or you're at home and you're in relationships you're with permanently and actually you don't get to stand on a stage and not see the reaction, you actually have to deal with the ordinariness of mm. uh, struggle who are different to you. And you might think you're a great communicator, but you may actually be a very charismatic transmitter of information. Mm. There is a difference. So right. Communication is is when the person on the other end of your transmission is able to understand what you're saying and the intent with which you wish them to receive it and to respond to you in a way that communicates they've understood it, not just the words, but the intent and the desire that lay behind mm. it. So some people who think they're gifted communicators are not. <laughs> because in a sense, um, they may very, very, um, they be may erudite in the way they communicate their mm. information but that doesn't truly mean that the person on the other side of them is really experiencing the engagement as healthy communication hmm. well that's profound one, one of the things we say when we speak at people you know we're just putting mm. up a wall between us whether it's the one-on-one -on -one or from a stage we just keep putting up a wall and sometimes as the sender we may not even realize it but we just keep going until yeah. you know that person I, I was curious when when you guys talk about uh you know uh, breaking the codes don't mean breaking the people can you kind of yeah. talk about you know that for a second and those stages of breaking the code so i mean again the, the enigma analogy was a helpful one is that kind of that when you understand how the code works it somehow brings the ability to communicate in a way that you've never had before so mm. whenever you mm. hear cracking the code it always sounds quite dramatic but <laughs> really what we're doing is saying it means that the people who are trying to connect and communicate with each other have tools by which they do it so mm. i even use it jason in my everyday speech you'll even hear me sometimes say somebody doesn't know the communication code because i know what my default is right. and i know the impact that that has you know 50% of people um, are thinkers by nature, so they tend to be quite critical. 70% are men um, in Jungian psychology and type. So, and they'll always have critique as one mm. of their top two communication codes. So whenever you're dealing with somebody who's like that and they're accidental, 
it <laughs> always feels like critique that often is experienced as criticism. And that's the bit where that's where mm -hmm. it goes wrong. So I, th I think for me, it's like, um, I will often say to someone, Jason, before I respond, wh what are you hoping happens here? Are you mm. inviting me to celebrate with you um, and just say what a wonderful thing it is and have a glass of champagne? Are you, are you asking me just to listen and be a friend, which we would call care? Do I want mm -hmm. to give you a safe place just to kind of vent and, or just to be present and know I can be with you? Are you, yep. are you asking me to ask some clarifying questions to really make sure I've understood what you're saying? Or are you actually saying, Steve, collaborate with me to make this better? Or are you inviting me to critique? Because it's it's really important if there's errors here. So I'm overemphasizing it for the purpose of kind of a new content. But if yep. you think about it, five, they're not that difficult to understand. But I'll promise anyone who starts to use them as they send information, it's amazing what happens in a team, Jason, when everybody starts to use the communication code. And all of a sudden, they also begin to understand that my attempt to collaborate often feels like critique. So Helen will sometimes say to me now, hey, Steve, this feels like critique. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm, well, it's often that the tone of my voice feels critical. And it's not. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get to truth. Yeah. But I often, if I'm not aware of it, my getting to truth sounds like a forensic and examination. So, you know, how do you crack the code without cracking the person? I think most people's desire is uh, when somebody feels heard, valued and appreciated, something amazing happens in them. Yes. And I think that's where communication code voices you've alluded to, where people in a team go, my superpowers are heard, valued and appreciated by everyone in my team. And they create an environment where I get to bring my best. Everybody that's working in that environment, but in all our experiences, most people don't because there, there's no such thing as an accidental leader who creates that environment. It's just, right. if you happen to be working with someone who's like you, I, I work with London, uh, Becky here in London, Becky's like me. We're wired exactly the same way. We've worked together for four and a half years. I don't think we've ever had a crossword because well, we, we kind of have the same communication code. So I don't mind her finishing my sentences or whatever it is, because we can be accidental and it still works. But that's only with a very small percentage of people. And that's not enough if we're actually going to have the type of influence that, you know, we want to have with as many people as possible. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, I have so many questions, but I want to get a couple of other big ones. Uh, what, you guys talk about being a people whisperer. I'm curious mm -hmm. your thoughts. I mean, so many, especially, and maybe maybe I'm reading the research wrong. I, I have a couple of Gen Z age children, and mm -hmm. you know, I I volunteer with students, and so I'm kind of listening to them. You know, this generation, uh, even the younger millennials. I mean, they're so unique because they've grown up with a device. You know, 24/7. They have all that information available, and they say things like, "I don't want a people." I don't want to be around people. I'd rather just be by myself. But you guys talk about the importance of being a people whisperer. I mean, you know, I mean, what a valuable skill it is to be around people. How, how do you think that will work, you know, in the years to come if our younger generations, you know, don't don't quite get how important that is? What can we do to, to help that importance? Uh, nothing much there then, uh, Jason. I, 
I think the honest answer is that and this may be me, but the human beings are created for relationship. Oh, and I think yes. a lot of disorientation at the moment. I had the privilege last uh, week or so to be at the, the inaugural ARC conference in London, which was a gathering of 1,500 um, leaders from around the world, 73 countries, looking at how do we really begin to rebuild society in the West. And Jordan B. Peterson, who is a slightly contentious figure, but I really like listening to him. And his basic premise was this when he did it in an evening at the O2 with 20,000 people after he said, he said at the moment, basically society is being atomized from the top down yeah. and that actually everyone is being told you are an island, you are an individual, however you want to relate to yourself yep. is entirely okay. And we're ending up with a level of mental health issues and isolation, which is the, in, in the most wealthy country the world's ever known, we yep. end up with more mental health issues. And he's saying that basically the moment we become focused on ourselves as individuals, we end up with exactly the same psychological emotion almost as depression. Oh. So introvert going into ourselves and focusing on our own needs and what we want and everything about us is not going to make us well. And the, he just said, look, we're going to have to rebuild society from the bottom up. It's always been that way. We've got to help people be healthy in the way they relate to themselves. So self-awareness, um, and we need to help them actually, as it were, established healthy relationships where they can be able to commit to each other. Marriages and healthy marriages can be a context of raising children. Children, if you've got spare capacity, kind of extended family, businesses, communities, churches, charities, be part of the fabric of your town, your city, your region, your country. And he's basically saying, for me, that actually at the heart of human flourishing is actually the need to be part of a cause bigger than ourselves, well, to be concerned for the needs of others, at least alongside ourselves, and that we find our purpose and our greatest sense of well-being in healthy relationships. I mean, like, wow. I, I literally heard him speak, and I'm going like, um, he spoke for nearly two and a bit hours with, oh. without notes and without wow. any visuals. And everyone wow. in the audience, even with his, was there going, amen. But the thing he didn't do was he didn't give them any practical tools of how they build relationships. And mm. I'm going, I'm writing to him and the kind of uh, Philip Stroud, who's the CEO of um, the ARC movement, and saying, guys, I think we may have some tools that help because at the point people go, how do we – how do we build healthy relationships from the ground up, particularly when people's intent is still, I want a healthy relationship, but it goes wrong. And I yes. think that's where potentially part of the work we've done over the last 10 years works for the generation you've described, because in a sense, the visual is so sticky and the axioms are so easy to remember. Right. And that's the way they learn. They don't learn by reading large textbooks anymore, or they don't in my family anyway. Yes. Absolutely. Well, hey, before we before I let you go, we kind of wrap up. Uh, I mean, I you know I could ask you question after question because this is just so brilliant. Uh, what what piece of advice would you give to? Uh, we'll start with the young leader and then maybe the seasoned leader. So the younger leader who's jumped in with a company, they've been there you know six months. You know they're trying to grow their leadership, they're trying to grow their communication skills, but they got their eyes set on the promotion. They want to be the VP. You know, in a, in a couple of weeks. You know, what advice would you give that that young leader about their leadership and communication? 
I think the first thing I say is you have to know yourself to lead yourself yeah. first. Um, there's pl there's plenty of self-aware leaders understand the impact their leadership or their communication style has on other people. So yeah. I always say to people, you, you have to develop self-awareness because it's the foundation of others' awareness. And a lot of people get promoted because of their skill sets, but they haven't actually learned how to be others aware. So if they're young, I go, whatever tool you use, I would argue that Giant's toolkit on self-awareness and communication is better than anyone else's, but that's just me being biased. But whatever it is, learn it well, because you need to know what's it like to be on the other side of me. Well, what's the impact I have? And critically, what tools am I using to help me be self and others aware? So, you know, if you can do that, you will be in the very small minority of leaders that we engage with because most of them want to do a good job, but most of them have no idea how to do a good job hmm. other than just to do for others what they would want done for themselves. And that's Absolutely. why hopefully the tools are so helpful because they're like mirrors. You get to look in the mirror and go, oh, my goodness, that's me. But they're also lenses where you're actually able to look through them and you're able to look out into the world with a with a sharper focus and a clear understanding of what's really going on. Wow. Wow. So then lastly, to some advice to that seasoned leader who 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 has the privilege to lead a team. We talked about it earlier, you know, what happens when a team, you know, uh, f feels heard and listen, you know, they're ready to soar, you know, what advice mm -hmm. would you give them as they they lead their team to to be able to get them to that healthy place? Um, so not dissimilar, Jason, but I think you learn how to calibrate high support and high challenge for each individual in your team. I would say learn how to create an environment where their superpowers actually get to be deployed in what it is the team is doing. The, the, the new world is so complex. No individual ever now has a monopoly on strategy or truth. None of us are going to be experts in everything. So learning as a leader how to create an environment wherever you can, where the people you lead feel heard, valued, and appreciated, that for me, I would say, is the, um, you know, in the 100X Leader book, we wrote about the Sherpa leader. You mm -hmm. know, the Sherpas, people climb Everest, never measure how many times have I summited Everest. They always measure how many people have I helped climb and get to the top safely and down because it's really easy to be the hero it's yep. really more difficult to be the leader who takes people and helps them go to places that they could never have got to on their own. And, yes. you know, that's a higher level of leadership, but it's the one that uh, I tell you, if you're known as someone who develops and grows leaders and creates teams everyone wants to work in, uh, you're never going to be out of work. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this has been just brilliant. I mean, such amazing and rich advice before before we uh i'll let you go let's do some rapid fire questions our our audience is always looking for great resources and those kind of things we talk a lot about speaking on this podcast do you have a favorite speaker someone that you just you, you love to listen to all day long yeah i like jordan peterson and i also love a lady called jazz Ampafar, who yeah. is near me and is probably the most charismatic connector with people I've ever seen on a stage makes me cry oh, every time. Jazz wow. amplifier. Okay, is there a podcast, either development or guilty pleasure, that just boy you you love and it just fills you up? Um, 
you know, when I thought about this, there's one called The Real, uh, the rest is politics in England, where two people on different sides of the continuum, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart, who are annoyingly clever and knowledgeable about the world, but they are from the left and the right of politics. And wow. they, they actually talk about all of the issues in the world and they talk about being able to disagree agreeably. Um, so I, I find a lot of my knowledge of what's going on in the world and just being able to reflect on people whose views are different to me. But, you know, they talk enough about America to keep it interesting. But that was the first thing that came to mind, Jason, when you asked. I love it. I love it. And then is there a book you think every leader? I mean, this is just a foundational book on leadership. Every leader should read. Yeah. Um, the book I always recommend is uh, called The Culture Code by a French psychoanalyst called Clotaire Rapai. Now, I know to Americans, French is and, and psychoanalyst is even worse. And then I tell them he's on retainer with 50 of the uh, Fortune 1,400 companies in the US. And then all of a sudden they go, OK, fair enough. I'd like to hear more. And his insights into what it is that is culturally embedded in the subconscious mm. around particular aspects of life. Um, he uses America as every time, and then he contrasts it with a culture else in the world where basically it is completely polar opposite and why and where it comes from. So um, for somebody who has lived in America, travels to America, works a lot in America, I found it an incredibly yeah. helpful insight. But it also shows you that wherever you go, you really have to try and understand the culture and where we happen to share the same language. I would say that we are completely different cultures united only by a common vocabulary. So, you know, that that for me is the one that I, every leader I've ever recommended to loves it. And for America, oh. it's like, oh, my goodness, no wonder I dislike the French. But there we go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this question wasn't on there just out of curiosity sake. Was the TV show or is the TV show Ted Lasso, uh, did it did it go as big uh, in London and England as it did in the States or was it just more of a thing over here? I think it was a lot bigger in America. And I have to confess, I've still not seen it. Ah. Um, it's on it's on Apple TV. And considering yes. the amount of subscriptions I already have, I think I drew the line of having paid for Disney, Netflix, blah, 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 blah. So I haven't seen it yet, but yes. every American I know says to me, you have to watch Ted Lasso. And I go, well, okay. <laughs> One day, Jason, maybe this One will day. be the moment where I'm One day. Well, I can't thank you enough. Uh, where can we send our audience to find more about you and what you do? Uh, gosh, I mean, well, find me on LinkedIn. Steve Cochran is probably the easiest thing, and I can direct you. I hope you might send them a show notes. There's a we have a, a weekly newsletter on relational intelligence that's free. So that's mm. for any of you who want to follow more of what we do. That's usually the easiest way um, okay. to stay connected to Giant. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, anyone who's listening who wants to know more, uh, I'm. Everyone thinks I'm incredibly busy. It's not true. I usually say. If you are a leader at the top of any organization, let alone founder, not even CEO anymore, um, <laughs> I have a lot of time, but I have a lot of excuses to avoid being in places and talking to people I don't want to. But if anyone actually hears this and reach out on LinkedIn and go, hey, I'd love a chat, you'll find I'm always um, more hmm. available than people think if you're brave enough to ask. Yes, yes. Well, I was I was so blessed uh, that a mutual friend, Susie, uh, introduced us, mm -hmm. and I just can't thank you enough. It's always humbling and such an honor to interview folks that I just have a high esteem for. And so thank you for all you do. And thank you for being on the podcast. 
honor, Jason. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And we'll put all of the information in the show notes, all of the links, and then we'll put it in the Speak with People Facebook community as well. And to our listeners, thank you for being a part of this podcast. And thanks for being a part of this Lead with People series. If you have not downloaded the Leadership Collective yet, make sure you go to speakwithpeople.com slash lead with people and download that ebook. We'd love to know what you think. Email me, jason at speakwithpeople.com, and we'd love to learn and grow together. Thanks again for being a part of the Speak With People community. We hope that you've been challenged, uh, motivated to elevate the importance and practice of healthy communication in your life. And my hope is that you'll speak with people and not at them. We'll see you next week.